Heavenly Father, we all set our faith in agreement together to hear from You today. I thank You for utterance and the anointing. Father, You give each individual here a spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of You and Your Word. Enlighten the eyes of understanding and let this Word become raiment to each individual exactly whatever mixture we need to hear to make course corrections in our life uh, so that we can experience all the riches, honor, and life that You have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so we've been looking at these scriptures again, right? Uh, Matthew 8. We'll just look at them again. These, uh, and we won't go through the whole stories. We'll just read the punchline. If you go to Matthew 8 and verse 13, we looked at these the last couple of weeks. But I want us to see uh, that we're in the driver's seat when it comes to faith because that's what we're working on. This is back to basics, part 22, faith, part 7. We're stretching it out. So Matthew 8 and verse 13 says this. Remember, that's that centurion. He came to Jesus wanting his servant healed. And Jesus said this to him in verse 13. He said, Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way as thou hast believed, be it unto you. And his servant was healed that self-same hour. So who was in the driver's seat? The centurion. So we're in the driver's seat in our own life. It's however we believe, be it unto you. However we believe. I mean, the world even understands that. If you listen to anybody that's successful, any of these motivational speakers or even athletes, they always say it's, you know, you've got to believe in yourself. You ever see a team win a big game? Well, we had to believe that we could do it. And the team that really didn't believe that they could do it when they go out, they get upset. Or, or they lose. They don't even show up to play. You ever seen that? Go over here to Matthew 9, right? Just across the page. We saw this one. This is the blind guy screaming out to him, Help us, son of David. And in verse 29 of Matthew 9, it said that Jesus touched their eyes and He said, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open. So, who was in the driver's seat with the blind guys? They were. If they, didn't believe, if they didn't believe it, then their eyes wouldn't have been... Jesus could touch them all day long. Remember we saw that last week that when He went back to Nazareth, He couldn't do anything there because they didn't believe Him. Could not, it says. Not He wouldn't. He said He couldn't. He was handcuffed. Uh, if you just... Uh, we'll flip over a couple more pages. We'll look at the one more of these. Matthew 15. Remember this is the, the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter... And, she, and she's begging, and Jesus said, I'm not giving to the dogs. Remember that? Yeah. So in verse 28 of Matthew 15, Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto you, even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Again, she was in the driver's seat, not Jesus. However you will. However you believe, whatever your faith is, be it unto you. Now, let's go to our first slide. Put that on the back burner and remember that, because we will get to that point. So a lot of times we jump ahead to that, and so... Uh, it'll be like, well, whatever I believe. Remember our faith production line? All the stuff that goes into what on the front end so that you could believe for healing? Remember logos, thoughts, imaginations? Do you all remember all that? Mm-hmm. So you still have the sheets. All right, so go here to Romans 4 and verse 16. Romans 4 and verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Say, that's me. Not unto that only which is of the law, but that which is also of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him who believed, even God, here's two things about God, he quickens the dead and he calls those things that be not as though they were. Now back to Abraham. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, say Rama, so shall thy seed be. Now verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead 
when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. And I said, you put that in parentheses and just put circumstances at the end of that because he didn't consider his own circumstances. And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory unto God, being fully persuaded that what he was promised, he was able to perform. Now, he went from being weak in faith to strong. Now, this, this account says that he was not weak in faith and he didn't consider his own circumstances. I'm going to show you here in a second. We'll just get off the track for a second. I want to show you that he was weak in faith because he was considering his circumstances all the way up until the end when he jumped into strong faith. And I want to look at, real quick, a little sidetrack. How do we make the jump from weak faith to strong faith? Because there's obviously something happens between weak faith and strong faith. It's like a light year jump. You ever seen like Star Trek or, or Star Wars when they go to light speed? Ludicrous speed. Spaceballs. <laughs> right? Dark helmet, whatever. Well, what, what's the, say, how do we make that jump? There's something that happens in between. You just don't all of a sudden wake up and now you have strong faith and you don't stagger at the promise. Do you? I mean, you can't just go. I mean, so something happened to Abraham that he went, well, he's not weak in faith, but he's strong in faith. All right. When we looked at this in El Shaddai, go back to Genesis um, 12. We'll look at the very beginning and look how long it took him to go from weak in faith to strong in faith. It took him about 35 seconds. However, to get to the point to make the jump, it took him about 24 years and three months. So you can make the jump at any time. How long are you going to diddle around till you get to the point where you decide you're going to make the jump to, to strong faith? Okay, so Genesis 12 and verse 1, real quick, it says this is when... Um, I just want to establish a timeline. It says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, verse 1, Get thee out of your country and away from your kindred and away from your father's house into a land I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation. Now did he say, I'll make you a father of many nations? No, because he's going to start weaning him onto the big promise so he doesn't stagger. I'll make you a great nation. I mean, you could believe, all right, I'll have a big family and I'll make a great nation. That's a little easier to believe than a father of many nations. Okay? And he says, I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing, and I'll bless them that bless thee, curse thee that curse thee, and in all families of the earth you'll be blessed with Abraham departed, and the Lord had spoken to him, and Abraham and Lot went with him. That was a bad move. But Abraham was 75 years old. So he's 75 when he first gets Ramah from God. Now, it doesn't say that he believed God until Genesis 15. Flip over to Genesis 15. It's 10 years later. He got Ramah, and then it took him 10 years before he even acknowledged that he believed him. Because this is when it says in Genesis 15 is when the Bible, God, gives Abraham credit for believing him. In verse uh, 15 and verse uh, 1, it says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord, what are you going to give me, since I go childless? Does that sound like he's believing him? Not really. And Abraham said, Behold, to me you have given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is my heir. He's like, I've got a servant, somebody who's bought is my heir. No one, I don't have anyone you know, born in my blood as my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord, say, Ramah, right, came unto him, saying, This one shall, be, shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad. Now he said, Look to the heaven, tell the stars, are you able to number them? He said, So shall thy seed be. And now look, in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted unto him for... Righteousness. So now he finally is believing the Lord. At this point right here, he's now in weak faith. He finally got to the point where he has faith, but he's in weak faith. See, the first ten years, he didn't really believe God. You ever been there where you hear stuff from God? You don't really believe it. Then God sits him down again, right? And they go through this whole little time. Face to face, telling him, yeah, now come here, I'll show you the stars. And then now this time he said he believed God. 
Now, so then they start this covenant cutting thing. As soon as he gets up from that, he runs home. And look in verse uh, in chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Is that true? In fact, the Lord's saying the other thing. I'm going to give you a kid. He said, Now I, go on, I pray thee, I'm begging you. Go to my maid, that it would be that I obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Was he in faith? Not big faith. He believed God. Oh, I get kids. Then he comes back. Now he's in weak faith because well, what? They immediately look at their circumstances, didn't they? Not only did they look at it, not just recognize it, they mull it over and consider it. Now they're making life-changing decisions on what my circumstances are. And this was a big life-changing, altering decision, wasn't it? Go sleep with Hagar. That that didn't. You know, this is one that. This is the gift that doesn't quit giving, and even till today. Right? I'm going to blow up the White House, said Al-Qaeda. Thanks, Abraham, who listened to Sarai because she thought that God was doing something to her that it wasn't, and they, they weakened faith. you all see that? Now, he's believing God, but now he's still looking at his circumstances. Is he in victory at this point? No, he's got a whole nightmare going on right now. At this point, he's 85 years old because it says at the end of that chapter that he was 86 when Hagar was born. So he came home from this covenant. You know, Sarah said, go on over there. He said, okay. Went over there. So nine months later, now we got Ishmael. He's 86. Ten years since he first got Ramah, or 11 years. Now he's got a whole year of, I'm weak. finally you're in faith, but you're weak faith. Fourteen more years goes by until he's 99. I mean, Ishmael's grown up pretty good by then, 14. He's about to start high school. I wonder if he went out for football. Look in chapter 17 now of, of Genesis and verse 1. Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Y'all remember that? He hey, walk before me and be perfect. There, straighten up and fly right, boy. We got a covenant. And then he said this. In verse 5, he said, Neither shall your name be called Abram anymore, but Abraham, for a father of many nations, have I made thee. Now, I will make you. Not sometime in the future I'll make you. He said, I already made you a father of many. It's past tense. Did you see that? God's calling those things to be not as though they were. Now, that's the first time he got hit with that. Because before, I'll make you a great nation. Then I'll give you the seed. Your seed will be as many as the stars. Now, this is the first time that he's heard, I've already made you a father of many nations. He's still weak in faith, though. If God showed up and told you the big, the big plan for you, you would think you would jump on it, wouldn't you? Especially if he showed up and told you like this. I'd be like, yay! Nuh-uh! Apparently not. Because Abraham's the father of all our faith. Are we above the father of our faith? I doubt it. He's the first one. If we would have been above him, God would have waited to cut covenant with us. He would have picked you to start the whole thing if we were better than him. Right? Okay. So now looking down verse 15. It said, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah thy wife, you should not call her name Sarah, but Sarah. And I will bless her and give her a son, and yeah, I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of many nations, and kings of people come out of her. Then Abraham, because he was great in faith, he staggered not at the promise, said, fell on his face, and he laughed, and said, Shall a child be born unto him that's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety-nine years old bear... Oh wait, stop. Go back here to Romans 4, our slide right here in Romans 4.19. 
He wasn't weak in faith because he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Cut back over here to Genesis. He said, he laughed. Shall a child be born unto him that is about 100 years old? And Sarah, who's 99 years old, wait a minute. Well, he is considering that. To God. Right to his... Fell down and laughed in God's face. Is he strong in faith? Not at this point. 99 years old. Now, we know that Isaac was born to him when he was 100. So we backed that up nine months for, you know, in the bun in the oven. We only got three months now before Abraham to make this switch from weak faith to strong faith after 24 years. Now, you know, we're, we're late in the game. Two-minute warning's already gone. He's out of timeout. He's thrown the Hail Mary pass to get into strong faith, right? So what did he do? What was the switch? Now, God told him back up in verse 9, this is, this is funny because, you know, while he's telling him all this, then, God really, then he really lays down the gauntlet. So God said to Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thee and thy seed and all thy generations. And this is my covenant that you'll keep between me and you and your seed after you, that every man child shall be circumcised among you. And you shall circumcise the foreskin of your flesh, and it will be a token or a sign of the covenant between me and you. Uh-uh. Now, don't you think God's, God's got a great sense of humor? Because for 24 years, this guy's been weak in faith. Now he's going to get him to jump into strong faith, and you lay this out there? You couldn't pick something else? But I couldn't give up like Xbox or something? I mean, see what I'm saying? This is something that's really dear and personal to Abraham. Isn't it? Very close to him. So how do I, what is the thing? So how do I know he jumped into strong faith? Because it says over here that in verse twenty three that he went home and did it. He circumcised himself, ninety nine years old, with a flint knife. He didn't go down to St. Luke's, you know, get anesthetized. Did he? And this is the first time I could find anywhere in the history of man that anybody did that. Hey God, what is that? Well, what are you talking about? You cut here, slice there. Uh-uh! <laughs> strong faith. So what was the thing that made him jump from weak in faith to strong faith was that he went through and he go ahead and he went ahead and circumcised himself. Like, what? That's what made the jump for him from weak in faith to strong faith. I mean, no, you, at that point you're all in. Right? Whose agenda are you on now? Oh, that sounds a whole lot like holiness, doesn't it? Being a patriot. See, because up until this time, Abraham was in his own agenda, wasn't he? He was righteous because God said, you're righteous, you're part of the covenant. He gave him righteousness, but he wasn't living in holiness because as soon as he got up from being called righteous, he went home and slept with Hagar and got Ishmael. His own agenda because he was going to work out the plan his way. Did you see that? When he decided, I'm going to get on God's plan, holiness. He's a patriot. It's God's agenda. That's when he switched over to strong faith. Not until he, get, until he decided, I'm going, my priority is seek first the kingdom of God. Do you all remember that? Kingdom, covenant, seek and missile. At the point when he decided that's what I'm going to do, that's when he jumped into strong faith. The bridge to get you from weak faith to strong faith? Holiness. You can't jump from weak faith to strong faith until you decide God's agenda is my agenda. 
Did you see as you just walked this whole thing out here in Abraham's life? That until he got on God's plan, he didn't get he didn't get the promise, did he? In fact, the whole thing and now according to your faith, be it unto you. However you believe. You understand? It wasn't until Abraham decided, holiness for me, I'm going to do whatever God says, I'm a patriot, that he did believe that he would have Isaac. Because up until that point, he's still laughing on his face going, what are you kidding me? A hundred years old? Have you seen Sarah? She's 90. Ha! That's what he said to God. So he was still weak in faith at that point. He didn't jump until he circumcised. Now look over here in Romans 2. See, because well, we, fortunately we ain't other law anymore and we don't have to physically circumcise ourselves, but God does, have you ever heard this? It's in the Bible, I'm going to show you here in a minute, to circumcise your heart. Really what that means, you ever wonder what that means? Yeah. I always wondered what that meant. What it means is that, we're going to show you, I'm going to show you right here in this Scripture, all you're doing is you're cutting away the thing that's near and dear to you and going with God's plan. I mean, the thing that was near and dear to Abraham was Ishmael, and he had to get rid of Ishmael. Do you guys remember that from El Shaddai? Boy, that was a fight. Him and Sarah broke up over it, remember? They weren't even living together after that. Romans 2 and verse 29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Now, just let that sink in. What Paul says is if you have circumcised your heart, you are a Jew inwardly. Isn't that what it just says? You as a Jew is one inwardly if you circumcise your heart. If you've made the jump and decided to cut away and you're going holiness, I'm going with whatever God's agenda is, he said you're a Jew now, inwardly. He said in that the Spirit and not the letter, <clears throat> whose praise is not of men but of God. So now we're in the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. You guys following that? When you make the jump, from I'm on, my agenda's gone, I cut away my agenda, and I go with God's agenda, Paul just said, now you're a Jew inwardly. Well, who cares? Well, let's go to chapter 3, and let's see what he just keeps right, right on it. He said, what advantage then does the Jew, what advantage does that have? Isn't that what he just asked? Or what profit is there of circumcision? He's talking about circumcising your heart, isn't he? What's that profit? Much in every way. Chiefly because, now I'm going to read this to you out of the Greek because they get it off a little wrong and all the other translations get it really goes south. But it says, much in every way, chiefly because that they of the circumcision were committed to the oracles of God. They, if you circumcise your heart and you're a Jew, you're committed to the oracles, say Rhema, of God. Did you see, when Abraham circumcised himself physically, that's when he became committed to the Rhema. He wasn't involved in the rhema. He was committed to the rhema. Y'all, I like eggs and bacon. Do you guys like that? The sausage? Do you? Anybody like that? Some, I mean, sometimes it's steak and eggs. I like that too. But let's just say bacon and eggs. Here's the deal. The chicken is involved. The pig is committed. Right? I got that even written right here in my Bible. <laughs> Egg, chicken involved. Pig, bacon, pig committed. Right down here. 
circle the word committed. Because when you circumcise your heart, he said, this is what profits you because now you're committed to the oracles or the utterance of the rhema of God. Big difference between being involved and being committed, isn't there? Now, seek ye first the kingdom of God. There's ministers all over this country and probably the planet. They're breaking their neck to get people involved in their church. You ever heard that? God isn't asking for involvement. What's He asking for? Commitment. Which is holiness. Which is circumcise your heart. That means your agenda's gone and you're committed to His agenda. That means there's no, no turning back. You already made your choice. Does that mean you won't mess up? Nope. David did plenty of times, didn't he? But what did God call him? Man after my own heart. You know why? Because every time he was confronted with, hey, you messed up, guess what he did? Ran back and got ran right back. I'm sorry, God, let's fix this. Back on holiness. It's, it's God's agenda, not mine. This is the jump between weak faith and strong faith. You know, until Abraham made that jump, he, could, he couldn't, because it was coming to him how, according to how he believed it, which was, I'm a hundred years old. That ain't happening. Oh, that Ishmael would live before your God. That's what he believed until he decided circumcision, holiness. I'm going, not my agenda, I'm going God's agenda now. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. Now you can jump into strong faith. And now all that stuff that you said you were believing for, and you probably were believing for, but you were weak in faith. You couldn't lift it. Once you make that choice that I'm going with God, now you can lift it. And now you make that jump. How long did it take Abraham? As long as it took him to saw off the foreskin of his flesh. Jumped into strong faith. Holiness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All this other stuff will be added unto you. Can you guys see that? Verse 3, it says this, But what if some didn't believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without none effect? Without effect? God forbid! Yea, let God be true and every man be a liar. See, what happens is here is that people... Uh, to say, well, I believed God, and it didn't happen. He didn't show up. I believe for that He didn't show up. He said Abraham believed too. God didn't show up for 24 years and three months because it was according to how Abraham believed. He believed, oh yeah, I believe sometime in the future that will happen, God, whenever, I don't know. And then he believed enough to go sleep with Hagar and get Ishmael and figure out how to do it his own way. But it wasn't until he decided whatever God's agenda is, I'm going to make it my agenda, and I'm on that. Now I'm committed to that rhema. And that's when it showed up. Because once you commit yourself to the rhema... See, this is what we do. We always try and leave ourselves, you know, a safety net or one foot, one foot, you know, one foot in, one foot out. You know, I'll go forward, but I always want to make sure that there's an avenue of escape. I always leave myself a lane or somewhere to go. Now you know you're not committed. Now you're involved. There's a big difference. I don't, I'm, maybe to my fault, I don't ask people to get involved or be committed. Because you know what that is? If I'm forcing you or manipulating you to make the decision, are you even being committed? No. And it actually is detrimental to you to have some man or woman try to get you to be involved or committed. Do you know there's nowhere in the New Testament they had altar calls? Did Jesus ever give an altar call? Can you think of any time where Jesus said, if you want to accept my message, come forward. 
What about Paul and Peter? No, folks got born again sitting in the seats. You know what? They decided they'd be committed while they were sitting there. They didn't have come forward and I'll pray with you and have a little card of, you know, what was it, little decision cards that we hand out and now, oh, now you're in. The church did that about probably 100 years ago. If you look in church history, church never did, had this altar call stuff until about 100 years ago. It's a great marketing thing. And what is it? It's closing the deal. It's really salesmanship. Forcing a commitment. I mean, that won't work out too good in the long run. And if you're trying to get somebody and you manipulate them and you play on their mobile and you get them and you make them make the commitment before they make the commitment, how many know it ain't real? So how many people aren't born again because they don't really believe, but we've walked them through this whole process? And then we get them involved in church so that they think that they are. And then they hear some of this word. Even in word circles now, I'm hearing about faith. And then your faith doesn't work. Boy, we, we just skipped all over you know, the whole thing. We just went straight to faith. According to my faith. And I'll have what I say. And, I'll, you know, and then it doesn't work. And I believe God. And, but did you? I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. However... <laughs> But this helps me because there have been times in my life where I'm like, how come you didn't show up, God? And when I look back on it, it was my idea. You know, when I was in the Marine Corps, I, I wanted to be a, a fighter pilot. I was enlisted. I wanted to become an officer. I went through the whole process of applying, took my SATs, got accepted to Penn State in their aeronautical engineering program, 1,400 plus on my SATs, went through all the you know, interviews all the way up the chain. It got all the way up to the Commandant of the Marine Corps to be accepted. Everybody signed off. This guy's a great candidate. Yep, I did the flight physical, everything. It was good to go. Got up there, and I'm, I'm yeah, and I'm believing, and yeah, this is it. And he gets, Psh, no. Some knucklehead that I knew in my platoon went, and you know what? He didn't even go. They gave him the slot, and he said, no, I just wanted to see if I could get it or not. That was devastating for me for a while. I mean, I never asked God, could I go do that? That wasn't His plan. I didn't even ask. I just thought, this would be great. It's what I want to do. I mean, see, by the time I was 12, I decided that whatever's in the Word is true and that whatever God's plan for me would be, that's what I would do. You know, there's times when I veer off of that, though. Even though I made that life-changing decision when I was 12, that's it. That's my, I'm, go, I'm a patriot for heaven. No matter how much, how much it hurts me. I'm going to do what God, How much I think it is going to hurt me, I'm going to do that one. 12, I don't know that much though. When I'm 18, I don't know that much more, so I'm going to go do this plan. Now I learned out of that, I could have skipped that had I just stuck with the original, I'm just going to do whatever God's plan is. Well, it didn't work. I believe God for that. And it didn't. We wouldn't be standing here today. You guys wouldn't be sitting here. If that was the plan, can you think in your own life? Stuff that happened or didn't happen and you can't believe God didn't show up? Be yeah, disappointed, sure. Because I was emotionally attached to that idea. I was in love with that idea. It was mine. Of course it was a good idea. <laughs> You ever have a good idea? That's a great idea. Why? Because it's yours. I thought that one up, man, it don't get any better than that. Uh Uh-huh. 
is God's idea. Amen. Alright. So go to Matthew 6. Just go past that one. Matthew 6 and verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought or consider not for your life what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Now see, here's Jesus telling the same thing that we saw with Abraham's life. Abraham's circumstances that were keeping him from being blocked at that time was what? I'm old and Sarah's old. He was considering those circumstances. Now Jesus is saying, he makes it a little more general. Don't worry about your bills. What, don't worry about how, you know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? How are we going to pay for that? How are we gonna... He said, don't, don't consider that. He says, the fowls of the air, they don't sow, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. They don't have any savings accounts. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? And why take ye thought for raiment or clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not, neither do they spin. They don't work. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul said about Abraham. Don't let your circumstances get you up. Don't make life-changing, altering decisions according to your circumstances. He said that's little faith. We do believe if you... If you got born again, you got faith. It says in, in Romans it's the measure of faith. Every man's given the measure of faith. You remember that from a couple of weeks ago we talked about? So you have some. I mean, I don't want weak or little faith because where victory comes is when you have strong and great faith. Right? Therefore, take no thought saying. See, because what will happen when we consider all this stuff, we'll start saying, what are we going to do? Because that's what he said. Don't say this. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we clothed? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to make this happen? He said, for the Gentiles, the pagans, people that don't have God, they do the same thing. Now what's he say? For your heavenly Father, what? Oh, He knows? So here's it. So every time you want to go ask that question, what are we going to do? Just be like this. Well, God knows. My heavenly Father knows. To answer yourself. Because what will happen is hell will get that thing going in your mind saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Father knows. Father knows best. <laughs> Somebody asks you out on the street, what are you going to do? Oh, my daddy knows. Mm-hmm. See, around here, they think that you're using the good old boy system anyway. <laughs> I use that so many times, people really thought my dad was like a judge or something around here. <laughs> yeah, my daddy will take care of it. He knows. <laughs> my daddy knows this problem. Yeah, who's your daddy? You don't know him. <laughs> if you did, you wouldn't ask. I've said that before many a time. It's okay, it's funny. See, the other person, they have no idea what you're talking about, but it doesn't matter, does it? Because who knows? God knows. He's the only one that needs to know. And Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Kingdom, covenant, seek, and missile. So when we circumcise our heart, we get rid of whatever's near and dear to us. Whatever our plan is, and we get on what God's plan is, now we make the jump from weak faith to strong faith, and then all this stuff, Jesus said, will be what? Added to you. 
It's almost like magic. You won't even be, I mean, it'll just show up. So we get off and we go, because, listen, we, I'm included in that, because what will happen is you'll start looking at your stuff and your circumstances, and I'm in over my head here. And, but don't be in the position of Abraham when you fall down on your face and laugh to God. I'm rich, that's funny, Jesus became poor because I'm rich. Have you seen my checkbook? Because what is your weak in faith? Because we say we believe that this is the Word of God and everything in here is true, and, and so, but I, what it is is I'm weak in faith because when I look at my checkbook and God says, no, you're rich. And I go, have you seen my checkbook? God said what? Circumcise yourself. Because all that stuff will be added unto you, Andrew, if you go after the kingdom first. Now, I'll throw this out here. I don't even, you know. But, how big is the kingdom of God? It's pretty big, isn't it? It's bigger than us. I mean, Elijah thought he was the only one left, and God told him, look, i got 7,000 you don't even know about. Back then, when the planet only had, you know, a few you know, million folks on it, not like the six billion we got now. It's big, even in this town... Tons of churches. The kingdom of God is pretty big, isn't it? So how do we seek our... You know, wherever He called you to be in church, that's where your part of the kingdom is. If you're not called here, then go find out where you are called. But nowhere, and I'm going to look at this here again in Haggai in a minute, there's nowhere that it says that you're seeking the kingdom. You can just go do whatever you want to do. It's all about building the house, which is building lively stones unto a spiritual house one upon another being fitly joined together. It's all about local body. Plenty to choose from, but you better find one to plug into and get committed, not involved. Dude, I just want to be used to God. Right, where are you going to church? Well, you know. Right, what are you doing at your church? Because if God called you there, then that's your part of the kingdom. See, this thing is huge. It's a huge network. It's just like the military. When I was given an assignment in the Marine Corps, take that hill, how many know that's only one little piece of the battle plan? You know, for me, to, I've got to take that hill for the rest of the plan to work, though. Because I might leave the flank open. You don't want to break in the line there or anywhere. So you've got to find out. See, this is, God's got big picture, and He goes all the way down to little itty-bitty picture. Micro. We're looking really micro right now. <laughs> but whatever it is, whatever our assignment is, then we've got to be committed to that and not involved in it. That's right. But I, I won't ask people to do that. Don't expect me to ask you to you know, be committed because that's none of my business. It's nobody's business whether I'm committed or not other than me and my wife. It's nobody's business whether you're committed or not other than you and your spouse. And if you're single, then it's just your business. That's a good place to be. Because how many know if me and my wife, I was committed and she wasn't, that's going to be a problem. Or I wasn't and she is, that's going to be a problem. That's why Paul said, don't even mess with that. Look, don't even worry about it. Because I know there's tons of people. I look at them and I'm like, there goes the husband. He's committed and the wife isn't. Or the wife is and the husband's an idiot. And they're not effective. They cancel each other out. You ever, and we talk about this all the time in politics. Where you ever seen like James Carville and Mary Madeline? Yeah. Like Carville's the left winger. Marilyn's the extreme right. They cancel each other's votes out. Why do they even go vote? Because it means zip. I've seen that happen in a lot of marriages. In kingdom business. They cancel each other out. But you individually have got to make the decision to be committed. That's, that's between you and God. No other man or woman should be asking you for your commitment to do kingdom business. 
Remember that verse we talked about? It says that I don't have any authority over your faith. All I can do is help you in your joy. Nobody else has any authority over your faith, and that's what we're going for is strong faith. I mean, you're the only one that can make that commitment to, I'm circumcising myself, I'm going with holiness, and I'm going to do kingdom business. You're the only one. And they're really, just the honest truth about the whole thing, there's very few people that actually commit. Very few. It's a small remnant, God said. And you can look at that and I mean, tons of churches. In fact, most people, they'll tell you in all these church growth books, They'll, they'll tell you yeah, there's only a few or there's a core committed and you're trying to get the, you know, the community to your congregation to move your congregation to your core. Jesus never asked for community and congregation. No, He said, core, I want everybody committed. If you want your faith to work, be committed. Jesus never asked for a half commitment from anybody or just to be involved, did He? A lot of people went away sad from Him because He said, now sell it all, come with me. Well, my daddy's sick. But you're dead, bury your dead. That's kind of cold, isn't it? What if I said that? We get even smaller than we are. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Smoke them if you got them. Yeah. Go to Haggai. There's something else I wanted to see here before we moved off of that. Now, remember this crew in Haggai, right? They started out on June the 1st, the first in the second year of Darius' reign, and they were all running to their own houses. And God said, my house lies in waste. And yet everybody runs to their own decorated houses. Y'all remember that? Okay, so Haggai says, you got to, you know, you sow a whole lot and you reap a little. You're earning wages and you put it into a bag with holes in it. Y'all remember that? Yeah. Okay. All right, so that was three weeks later, they decide they're going to work on building the house of the Lord. They got the raiment, so then they went from doing their own thing to now, all right, we're going to go to work. So then another month goes by. Right now we're on July 21st, and God says, any of y'all remember my other house? You know, the first one? Because the one you're building now stinks. You seen this? It's nothing. The work you're doing ain't good enough. Man, what does this guy want from us? He said, don't worry, I'll bring all the silver and all the gold that's mine. I'll bring it to you, but you've got to you know, step it up. You've got to start believing bigger. Now, you're building me a trailer. I want like a temple. I'm paraphrasing. You can read. Two more months goes by. Now it's September 24th. Right? This is where we pick up in verse 10. And in the fourth and twentieth day of the ninth month of the second year of Darius' reign, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning my law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in his skirt of his garment, and his skirt does touch bread or soup or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest said, No. Then said Haggai, If one is unclean by a dead body and touches any, things, any of these things, will they be unclean? And they said, Yes, it will be unclean. Now, you remember my little toothbrush thing from last week? Toothbrush is holy. Devoted to a single purpose, clean my... What, you know, if my toothbrush touches the kitchen table, does that make the kitchen table holy? No. If I touch it on my plate, does that make it holy? No. How about my toothbrush dropped in the toilet? Did it make the toilet holy? No, but it made my toothbrush unclean. Now, if I took my toothbrush and I touched my mouth with it, ah, oh, now I'm unclean. What about the kitchen table? What about I put it on my kitchen plate, my dinner plate? No, it's all... Na- do y'all, I said it fast because we said it last week. I want to move on past. But y'all get the idea, right? Verse 14. Then answered Haggai and said... So is this people and is this nation, says the Lord, and every work of their hands and the stuff that they offer me is also unclean. Now, these guys are doing the same thing that Abraham did. Because they started, they got the ring, but then they started believing because they went to work. Right? But now they're still stuck in little faith because we're going to see here in a second. Let's read the very next thing. And in verse 15, and God says, Now, I pray you consider from this day and upward from when the stone was laid upon stone in the temple. 
when you started laying the stones till today, he said, how's it going for you? That whole, you know, money with the whole in the bag thing, how did that work out? Because we've been through the whole summer, you should start seeing something, shouldn't you? He said, since those days, when there came a heap of 20 measures, you came up and there's like 20 measures of flour, he said, but you reached in and there was only 10. You ever buy like a five-pound bag of sugar, and then you come home and there's only two pounds in there? Wouldn't you take it back? Then he said, what about press fat? You draw it out fit. You went to draw out 50 vessels of the press fat, but then there was only 20. You bought a gallon thing of olive oil, and then you got home and you opened it up, and there was only like, you know, half a gallon in there. Did you just get ripped off? He said, your life is still like that. You want to know why? Because you haven't circumcised your heart. You didn't jump to holiness. Now what he just said, you're, all, every work of your hand is still unclean because they're still doing their own. Yep, they stopped running and ignoring God. So now they are starting to work for God. He said, but everything's still unclean. You're still not holy. You still haven't made my agenda your agenda. You're appeasing me. You're involved. You ain't committed. He said, I smote you with blasting and with mildew and all the labors of your hands, and yet you still didn't turn to me, said the Lord. Now, who did that? God. Well, wait a minute, Andrew. I thought character God else should I more than I would I mean, when you entered into covenant, what did you say? All that I have is yours and all that you have is mine? Isn't that what we said? When, we, when, we, when you accepted Jesus, basically you're entering the covenant. Saying, God, I give you. But then you took all yours back or most of it, or you kept some back. Legally, God can't do anything for you because you made a deal with Him. See, if I said you made a deal with the devil, we all would get that one. Oh yeah, I made a deal with the devil. You know, yeah, then I get this, and we've got to keep our deal with the devil because He makes you. You make a deal with God, you can renege all you want, but then you get mad because God didn't keep His end of it, but you didn't keep your end. But if we made a deal with the devil, we wouldn't be making that argument, would we? Because the devil won't let you renege, would he? God's a gentleman. He don't make you be committed. But you commit to Him. What? You've handcuffed Him. So if, you, if you're working hard and you're not seeing results that you should be seeing, maybe you ought to take inventory. Am I doing God's agenda? Am I just involved or am I committed in kingdom business? He said in verse 18, now he said, now consider this. From this day upward, he said, the 4 and 20th day of the nine months. He said, from September 24th. Mark it on your calendar. Consider this from now on. Even the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider this. He said, is your seed in the barn yet? Is your savings account full? Obviously the answer no, not yet, God. He said, yeah. And how about the vine? Did yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree, have they brought not forth? No, they didn't bring forth fruit yet. He said, but from this day, I will bless you. He said, mark it on your calendar. The day that you go from involved to committed, that you make holiness, you circumcise your heart, and you, just, you make the jump from weak faith to strong faith, he said, I'll bless you. Just mark it on your calendar. The day that you decide, I'm all in with God, that it's His agenda, not mine, that I'm a patriot, holiness. He said, from this day on, I'll bless you. Now, here's the jump. We're going from weak faith to now I'm going to circumcise my heart and I'm going to do holiness. I'm going to do God's agenda. I'm a patriot now. I mean, you, know, you could stop right there and still receive nothing else because now we're back according to your faith, be it unto you. Because I know a lot of people that are, they are holy. They're patriots and they still got nothing because they didn't believe for nothing past that. 
They weren't ever taught that this is part of the faith process. They thought holiness was separate from faith. Mm-hmm. Didn't you think that? Mm-hmm. I always thought that the holiness was... I was taught holiness was, you know, don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew about what those will do, and how I live right and all that. Then you are taught that was holiness? Well, that could be a byproduct of holiness. That's when I decided that whatever God's agenda is for me, that's what I'm going to do. How I many know, for me not to live in, have an NFL season tickets right now would not be living in holiness for me. Because there's something wrong with that? No, because I wouldn't be here doing God's agenda. I'd be having surf and turf. Because I wouldn't be getting this no box seats. I'm with the heated, with the buffet, and that, yeah. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. If I'm going to, you know, blow off God, we're going to do it big. But you understand, so yeah, it does affect my behavior. There's not a thing wrong with having season tickets. What if God's agenda for you was to minister to those people? You better have season tickets then if that's God's agenda for you. About NASCAR, you know there's a guy I know, he's a chaplain for NASCAR. He, he ministers to the drivers. He, he actually holds service. We I mean, know he's on the circuit every week. In the pits. Having fun. God, why couldn't you call me to do that? <laughs> Nothing wrong with going to the races. In fact, it would be for him to show up here and blow that off now he's not in holiness. <gasps> Being in church isn't holy. Not for that guy. Do, do you understand? So holiness will affect your behavior, but it's not about the behavior checklist. But don't stop at, you know, I'm on God's agenda and that everything will just, you know, be hunky-dory because Jesus said how many times, according to your faith, be it unto you. However you believe, be it unto you. However you will, be it unto you. If you don't ever believe past, well, we'll just barely get along, but I'm holy. You won't get anything more than that, will you? It's a jump. We got to make. It's a bridge, but you can't stop as soon as you get to the other side of the bridge and say, "I'm here." Then never leave the bridge. You're just on the edge of it. Get through the toll gate and get on. We got a journey to do. Yeah, you know, my mom and dad. I don't know anybody more holy than them. They are patriots. Whatever God's my entire life. In fact, I'm thinking about it. That's probably why I made that decision so young because they never made any decision in life unless it was whatever God's agenda was for them. Now, they were brought up in the Depression. That's a rough period. For them to be where they're at now, that's actually pretty big, a pretty big jump. But they still, they never went past really holiness. So they, this is what they always believed, that they would have enough. Just enough. Never more than enough, but just enough. They were never taught anything other than that. In fact, that's a pretty big jump when you brought up in the Depression to have enough. Because they didn't have enough. They had way less than They had nothing. So for them to believe to have enough was a huge jump. Now, back in like 1966, 65, they were living in the basement of a church that my dad was pastoring. There was no church, it was the basement. It's kind of fun, we're backwards, right? I'm living... <laughs> but uh, there, there was like a roof over it, but there was no structure above it. So the thing leaked and it was all like cinder block and the kids were getting sick. That was, so they wanted a house. They'd never owned a house before. Now look, they're holy because they are going, they're committed. You're raising your kids in the basement of, I mean, you know, they're committed, okay? But they did believe that they would get a house. So they went and they looked at this house that I was brought up in, a nice middle class neighborhood, biggest lot in the neighborhood. It was like an acre. Four bedroom, only one and a half baths because in the 60s that was a lot. Big house. So they found a real estate agent that would take them on. Now look, my dad's making 200 bucks a month. Now I know it's the 60s, but still. That's barely like $3,000 a year. Okay? They're going to buy a house. Ah, that's funny. 
But they're seeking first the kingdom of God, no doubt about that. Okay? So they get this real estate agent to take them. I don't know where this guy came. He's not, not born again as far as I know. They look at the house. There's three other couples looking at the house. The guy says, you got any money in your pocket? My dad's like, I got a five. That's huge. That's like what they're going to eat on for the next week. Got four kids. He said, give it to me. Some guy in one of his, you know, rotary club or whatever lived across the street. They didn't have cell phones back then. He goes over and knocks on that guy's door and says, hey, can I use your phone? Now, the other agents, they have to go back to their offices to make their phone calls. Calls someone, right? He calls the other agent and says, I got an earnest money deposit on the house. Take it off the market. It's five bucks. I mean, that ain't going to cut it for earnest money. The guy said, okay. Got it. The time those other people got back, they didn't even get it. They didn't, they, sorry, the house is already under contract. It's off the market. They got that house. Their mortgage payment was $181.96. But when you're making 200 a month, that leaves $18.04 to eat on, pay the electric bill, and yada, yada, yada. They believed they would get the house, and they got the house. They jumped from weak faith to strong faith because they went through that whole holiness part. They already decided a long time ago, and their whole life they lived that way. Now they're doing pretty good now. They do have more than enough. And they, they give all the grandbabies you know, cash Christmas presents every year. and you know, So they've made a huge jump. You know, Now the next generation, we should make a bigger jump. They jumped from depression area to, I can, well, we didn't have nothing to we could have enough. We should be doing that same thing. But you know what? My generation, holiness ain't a really big deal. Patriotism for God, not a big deal. Not real. We don't really... I mean, even now. Baby boomers on down. Patriotism. We barely have patriotism for our country that we can see, let alone a government we don't. The government that's within us. God said, consider that market on your calendar the day that you decided to be holy. He said, see if I don't bless you. I like it. Go, uh, you got the, go, go over to First Thessalonians 4. I guess we'll try and finish up with this. Talking about this holiness and uncleanness thing. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 7. It said, For God has not called us unto uncleanness or impurity, but unto holiness. He said, But he therefore that despises or deems this unworthy of your attention, and I put in parentheses, blows off God. This blows off. Says, you don't blow off man, you're blowing off God. He says, you despise this, you don't despise man, but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. Despise means that you deem something unworthy of your attention. That's all it means. It's not worthy of my attention. He said, you could take, he said here's, the, here's the deal. God called you unto holiness. He said, if you blow that off, you're not blowing off a man. So you're not blowing me off just because I'm the messenger. I ain't the one that thought this up. He said, but what you are doing is blowing off God. And He's the one that gave you the Holy Spirit to help you live in holiness. Again, i got to keep saying this because in holiness we keep thinking it's a checklist of don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with those who do. It is not. It is patriotism for the government of heaven. Whatever God's plan is, whatever His agenda is, I'm all in with that. See, we think holiness means we don't have any fun. Oh no, you have tons of fun. Tons of fun. See, and this should be fun. Kingdom business should be fun. Being committed should be fun. Ask Abraham how fun it was for him and, and Sarah to have that baby boy. 
Huge! They finally got their promise. It wasn't until they decided... And we skipped out the part where for Sarah was still laughing, even when Jesus came with the two angels, and she's behind the tent laughing, and Jesus said, how come you laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. I am right to Jesus. She had to make the jump too. It probably happened right after Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh-oh. Right, because that's the errand those guys were running. We're going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, well, I should have laughed at Jesus. Like, I definitely shouldn't have lied to him. You know, is this helping you any? Because this is the jump from weak faith to strong faith. Holiness. It's a bridge. I've never saw it before. I always thought, you know, well, they're just living right. You ever heard that? Well, clean living. You know, you make a hole in one, clean living. Yeah, but it's, holiness isn't necessarily clean living. How many of you, actually, if you're into holiness, could get kind of dirty on you. Roll up your sleeves. Could get ugly. I'm reading, I'm reading about Jeremiah right now. That dude was on a plan to go tell the nation, you're about to fall to Babylon. I mean, no, that wasn't really you know, a popular message at the time. Dude got beaten, thrown in prison, doing what God told him. It was ugly at times. But he couldn't. He already made the decision from the time he was a kid, I'm going to do whatever God says. If you read Jeremiah, read it in like the NLT or something. The first time through. Okay, and then you could build up to the King James. Because you'll kind of lose, your, lose the story in it. But sometimes it gets ugly doing God's agenda. It ain't all pretty, but it should be fun. We should have a good time doing it. Yep, there's some bad times. Guess what? That's part of the curse of the fall. Everybody has those. Do you want to win? Because not everybody can win. Do you know that? Most people don't win. It's not available to them. Sometimes they'll get what we call, quote, quote, get lucky. Well, they got lucky on that one. Man, I want to get lucky every time. I want to win every time. Make the jump from weak faith to strong faith. I'm doing God's agenda. It don't matter how much you think, I think on the inside that ain't that great of an idea or my idea is better. Or what, it, what were we saying this morning, you know? We're talking about some 16-year-old trying to tell Methuselah what they know something. Then Cheryl said, yeah, what about us telling God we know something? <laughs> right. No, God, i got a better plan for me. Like, I know you got that whole, you know, created the universe thing going, but whatever. I got this. So that's really what holiness is, is going, all right, God, what you you know, following the guide. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. See, there's people that I know, friends of mine, dear friends, that they never made that jump. They never circumcised their heart. So they tried to do this faith thing. And when they started seeing it working, but they started seeing circumstances, and they never did make the jump to strong faith, so it destroyed them. Because they never made the jump to what's God's agenda for me. They thought they were, but they never circumcised their heart and said, no, Whatever you want, God, because they're still trying to work deals and work angles and try and look at the circumstances. You ever try to work the numbers? I try and work, even, you know, I have to force myself not to work the numbers when it's time to pay the bills. That's not, that's not, that's weak faith. That's not strong faith. And my confidence is, God, I'm seeking your kingdom first. All this stuff should be added unto me. I am sick of working the numbers. You work the numbers. Now I'm in strong faith. Guess what? Bills get paid. Whether I work the numbers or I don't work the numbers. So why am I stressing out over the numbers? Y'all can tell the numbers is my, you know. I used to have the calculator. Can we be like, because I go to the grocery store. 
with the calculator. You got a coupon for that? <laughs> What's the food tax bill that just passed? 0.52 times it. On every item that goes in the cart. I mean, no, that ain't a fun grocery trip for anybody. But we live our life like that. Not just with bills, but any, any circumstances. We're all, you know. Let's just get on God's plan. Seek His kingdom first. All this junk will be added. Let Him do His job. My job is to be all in with Him. His job is to show up and be all in with me. His stuff's bigger than my little piddly stuff. But when we try to hold back our little stuff, the kids, you know, they all each got a uh, wish book from Target this week. You know, the little magazine catalog with all the toys in it? We had to put their name on it. You know why? <laughs> she touched my magazine! Let me look at it. No, you look at yours. This is mine. It's paper. It's trash. We do the same thing with God, though. Right? Don't we? Help anybody? I don't know. This, see, this stuff, man, is huge for me. When I look at that, I'm like, now, because I've already made the decision to, to be a patriot a long time ago. Now I, I can put the pieces together and go, oh, now I can see where that fits. And since I'm already doing that, now I can just get off this bridge and just start on shooting on strong faith. And quit dealing around with weak faith because I've already made the decision to circumcise my heart a long time ago. And as long as I'm staying on that path, golden. And when the circumstances start creeping back, hey, no, no, I already cut that off. Flint knife. <laughs> cut it off. Gone. I don't, wanna, you know, I don't need to do it again. Right. You want to keep doing surgery on yourself? No. Mm-mm. All right, y'all stand to your feet with me. We'll pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, come alongside of us. Comfort us. Teach us. Guide us. I thank you for doing all this stuff that Jesus sent you here to do in our lives. That in real time, you help us and guide us through this minefield of life. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.